Bibles, open up to Colossians chapter 2. We finally made it to the second chapter as we have been going through this letter that Paul wrote. We looked at kind of this introduction that he told them. He said, keep up certain things. He said, I'm praying for you. He told them that Jesus really is supreme. And last, we kind of learned this idea that all that I'm doing, like all that I'm writing to you, all that I'm doing is for the sake of your maturity. I want you to be able to continue to grow in Christ. And so today, we're actually going to walk through the entirety of the rest of chapter 2, paragraph by paragraph. And I say that paragraph by paragraph of my Bible. I learned that some of them divided a little bit differently, but I'll continue to let you know what verses we're going to look at. And we're going to look and see what is it that Paul says about this idea of following Christ. And so we are starting in verse 6 today, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7. Let's just jump in and see what he says. He writes, So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. All right, so at the very beginning of that section, my, sec, my uh, version said, so then, if you have a certain one, it might say, therefore. And so it's a connecting word, and anytime you see the word therefore, you have to ask yourself, what is the word therefore, therefore? Like, why is it here? What is it connecting? And so, Paul has just said, you received Jesus as Lord. Like, he is supreme. The message has been revealed to you. He has reconciled you. And so because of those things continue to live in him. That's what he says. Because of what Jesus has done, continue to live in him. And it actually reverse, uh, reminds us of verse 23 of chapter one that says, if you continue in your faith, but this time it's actually a command. You need to continue to live in your faith. Now, how exactly do you do that? He wrote some different words. He talked about this idea of being rooted and maybe your mind immediately goes to a tree. You think about one that is firm if it has these roots. Maybe your mind even jumps to Psalm uh, chapter one, verses one through three that say this, blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law, he meditates day and night. And it says he is like a tree. Planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And so thinking about this idea of rooted, being rooted gives you the picture of being secure amongst the storms that may come. It allows you to get the nutrients that you need amongst harsh conditions. And so Paul is telling the church in Colossae, keep your foundation, keep your source of life in Jesus. And he says rooted, but then he also talks about being built up. Maybe you have this picture of a building or being strong as one. I picture this house with this cornerstone that is Christ. I see all the bricks, they're being built together. And so they together can withstand whatever comes their way. I think about this idea of strength in numbers, which actually reminds me of a lesson I learned in kids ministry. And so I remember we were studying about how two are more effective than one. And our kids minister had something. It might've been spaghetti. It might've been a little stick. And so brought up a child and said, here, I want you to break this one stick. And so they karate chopped it. No problem. All that kind of stuff. And then they put a whole bunch of them together and said, now I want you to try and break it. And they weren't able to do it. And that remind, like that stuck in my mind so much, just the power of more 
more than one together. And so when I was a kid's minister, I'm like, I'm going to do the same thing. And so I took a toothpick and said, all right, kid, I want you to break this toothpick and karate chopped it. No problem. All that kind of stuff. And then I got a whole bunch of toothpicks together and I said, okay, now I want you to break this. And he reared back and hit as hard as he could. It didn't break, but man, he grabbed his hand pretty quickly. And I learned I am not doing that illustration again because he was hurt. But even there, the strength, the power that comes from more than just one. And so be built up in Christ. Let him continue adding to your life. It talks about this idea of being strengthened in the faith that you were taught. Like you can have confidence in what you have learned. I'm reminded of 2 Timothy 3 where it says, continue on what you have learned and what you have become convinced of because you know those who have taught it to you. You know those who have passed along the truth. And so let your faith continue to help you through each day. And at the end of that section, Paul says, may you be overflowing with thankfulness. May you be grateful for the things that you have. May you be grateful. May Jesus be able to see that. May other people just see that that is your attitude. Like overall in those first couple of verses, it really does seem like the main point that we've looked at over the past few weeks. This idea that because of what Jesus has done for you, continue to grow in maturity. Don't stop, but continue to let him work in you. And so then we get to verse eight and Paul writes this. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and on the basic principles of this world rather than on Christ. And so again, last week we looked at how Paul said, hey, you should not be deceived by these fine sounding arguments. He warned and he taught through wisdom against those things. And so specifically here, he says, don't be deceived. Don't be taken captive by certain things. What things? Well, how about hollow teachings? hollow philosophies. Those that look good, but when you take a really close look, they have no substance to them whatsoever. And maybe you've been walking through the forest at some point and you saw this tree that looked really good and maybe you leaned on it or whatever, but you quickly found out that it was not healthy and it was pretty hollow and maybe it was able to fall over just by you leaning on it or kicking it or something like that. Maybe you've been in the situation where you're like, man, that looks like a solid door, but simply knocking on it, you're like, nope, that is full of air. You know, it's just got the look that it is strong, that it is full, but it's not. It's one of those weaker doors. Or even talking about air, maybe you have bought one of those bags of chips that you were excited to open up and when you did, like it had a quarter of the bag full of chips and I get it that you fill it, then it all falls down. But like, it's just, it's deceptive. It's frustrating because it's not what you thought was there. And so Paul is saying these thoughts that sound really, really good, they even look solid, but they're not. Don't get caught off guard by these. Be aware. He also talks about these deceptive teachings, these empty deceit. We could call them lies or maybe even partial truths. Man, those have been going on ever since Satan was here deceiving Eve in the garden. And there are so many half-truths that sound good, and you're like, well, maybe that's true. Or maybe the new teacher comes in with flashy new toys, and it grabs your attention, and it draws you in. But as you listen, you realize that the words are nothing but emptiness. And so teachings that sound like truth but are far from it, Paul says, watch out. Be on guard for these things. Now, where do they come from? What are they based on? He says they're based on human traditions, on worldly principles, or even superstitions of the spirit. You see, these may come from things like the Old Testament law, or they may be cultural influences, cultural teachings that are coming in. And the truth is that the church is still having to fight against these today. 
We still have to keep our eyes open from things like legalism creeping in, going, well, this is the way it's always been done, and so we're just going to do it. Or sometimes we have to keep our eyes open for aspects of progressive Christianity that says now you need Jesus plus something or Jesus minus something. Or even other religions that are trying to come in and say, this is what you need to do. You need to be open to all of it. And Paul says, don't become a slave to these kind of thinkings. Instead, stay firm on Christ. You know what? If you're tempted to fall away, it might start with one of these thoughts. And so when one of these thoughts comes into your mind, ask certain questions. Is this hollow? Like, is this empty or is it really full and substantial? Like, is this a solid foundation that I can build my life on? Is this genuine or deceptive? Is it only surface level or does it stand the test of time? Is this human tradition or is this of God? Like, how was it revealed? Was it revealed from heaven or not? Or does this take its cues from the creator or just from creation? And Paul says, as you mature, as you continue to live in Jesus, don't be fooled by the latest fad or the rules of the past. Does what you're listening to, does it line up with what Jesus has said? And so Paul says that here in verse 8. Let's read verses 9 through 12, this next paragraph. It says, For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised, in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with a circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, and raised with him through your faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Like right off the bat, Paul uses this word fullness a couple different times. And one, he's talking about Jesus, that Jesus is fully God, which we've looked at in the past. And again, remember, the church was being told, well, you need Jesus, but also some other things too. But Paul comes back and says, here's the truth. You have also been given the fullness in Christ. You have received his fullness. You have been made full. You have been made complete. You are thoroughly saved by him. Well, how? He then mentions a couple things specifically. He talks about circumcision, kind of with a metaphor, going back to Old Testament ways. He says, you have put off this sinful nature. You're not just looking good on the outside, but there's something done on the inside. And so this circumcision is the removal of the entirety of the fleshly nature. It's not just a piece of skin that at one time was a symbol that you were following after God. And this circumcision, it's done by Christ, not another person. You can't achieve it through human acts. Even the past rules that once were important, you can only achieve it through him. And then he talks about this idea of being baptized, being buried and raised with Jesus, which is this new symbol of being connected with God. And so in that moment, there's this death to self, that I am dying to myself, I am dying to my sinful nature. All the rebellion against God that has been with me is not my goal anymore. And after I have died, I am being raised in him, in his righteousness, in the life that he gives. In fact, if you read, it says it is the power of God that saves. It saved Jesus and it saves us. It is not a man-made act. And I would tell you this, don't minimalize baptism. Like sometimes in our human traditions and even different viewpoints on this, we can sometimes minimalize it, going, eh, it's just something that's along the side. But I would tell you that it's probably pretty important if Paul points the church in Colossae, hey, remember this moment. 
Remember this moment in your life, not a prayer, not a speech, but remember the baptism. In fact, in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, Paul says this, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death, and we were therefore buried with him through baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. You see, fullness of Christ is when you die to yourself, when the old nature is cut out and you are raised with him to new life. And Paul reminds the people in Colossae, you already have what you need. Remember what Jesus has done and what he has done in you. It's not what you have done, but what Jesus has done. In fact, in those few little verses, we read the words in Christ twice, in him once, by Christ once, and with Christ once. So six times in those few little verses, it's all about Christ because what Jesus has done is enough. And so then we keep reading verses 13 through 15. It says, when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He says, you are able to receive that fullness because of the cross that Jesus died upon. Like you receive forgiveness. Because of Jesus dying on the cross, you receive forgiveness. That no sin that you have ever done has any claim on you. No matter how big you think that sin is, it cannot allow you to be a slave to it. If you will not let it, if you'll say, God, you are the one, you receive complete forgiveness. It says every debt has been paid, and that means every debt, even the one that you think that maybe you're the only one that struggles with, or maybe that one that, again, you do again and again, and you just can't seem to get a handle on, or maybe even that one that's been passed down from generation to generation. Jesus says it is paid in full. You can live in freedom from guilt and shame. You can live as if you really are alive because you are. That's what forgiveness brings. It allows you to live in fullness. But the cross of Jesus, it also shows that he has ultimate power. He defeated every other power. He exposed the limits that they have of their rule. Oh, you may still be ruling, but understand that your your limit only goes this far And so people who may threaten you, even to the point of death, they have no power over you. Because if you die, you are going to see your Savior. You are already victorious. Or if there's a person or some sort of entity that tries to bring up your past, it is irrelevant because it has already been paid in full. So just like the Israelites who had the blood on the doorposts, you and I were safe. We're okay, no matter what the opposing power may throw at you, because Jesus is already victorious. And so because of the cross, we receive forgiveness. We have victory, and then that leads to practical living. It all fits together. And so why follow Jesus? Because there is no greater leader, and there is no greater offer. So Paul, he's talking about Jesus. He's focusing on him. And then he goes back to warning against ideologies again. 
In fact, in another section, he's again going to begin with the word therefore. Your Bible might even start a whole new section right here. But he says, because of these things that Jesus has done for you, do this. So let's read verses 16 through 19. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone delight, or who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. What Paul says here is, don't feel bad about your actions if you are living in the freedom of Christ. If you are living in his freedom, you know, people may not like what you do, or they may even say, well, you need to go back to doing certain things, but you don't need to be stuck in past ways. Now, this is super important. The reason is not just because it's an old thing. It's not just because this was the old way and something new is here, and so that's what I'm going to start doing. The reason this happens is because Jesus made a new way. He fulfilled the Old Testament law. And so now he says, live in my grace. That's what I want you to do. I want you to live in this grace. And so these people, they were hearing that there's all these specific things that led to being a spiritual person, that led to being the right kind of person. So you have to eat certain things or stay away from certain foods. There were certain calendar regulations. So certain festivals or celebrations or observances that you were supposed to be part of. Some people talked about worshiping angels or other spirits, and you'd look at them and go, man, they're more spiritual than me. Sometimes people would talk about the visions they have or these out-of-body experiences. There's this thing called asceticism, which means you deny um, bodily pleasure. So I'm going to fast. I'm not going to allow myself to eat food. And it's all for the purpose of being spiritual. And all of these things were ways which told other people you were spiritual. Sometimes through cultic practices, sometimes through the Old Testament law. And you could do them with the most sincere of heart, or you could do them with a false humility. And Paul says all of these things, they're a shadow of what is real. They were the front runner. They were showing what was to come and Jesus was to come. And some things, if they're not tied into the Old Testament ways, these things are hollow and deceptive. They may look good, but they don't have any real power for what you need. Because Christ is what you need and he's the one that causes the church to grow. He is the one that's able to sustain you amongst any storm. And it says the person who holds to those things in that list as being a saving grace, they've lost their connection to Christ. You see, they've lost the power that Christ has given them because they're trying to attain something by their own power. But it is all about Jesus. And Paul says, don't you let anyone judge you or condemn you for living in the grace of Jesus. And so then we get to the last section, verses 20 through 23. And it says, since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with the self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. 
And Paul again just says, man, since you have given your life to Christ, why are you still going back to the way things were? He is so much better. Why would you want to go back? Because you see, doing something where you're trying to be good enough, like oftentimes that just amounts to a whole bunch of negatives that you're never able to measure up. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. Or sometimes, well, if I just give this up in my life, then I'm going to achieve salvation. But that's not the way it's found. Or even if I push my body really, really hard to be in line with him, that might even help in some instances, but it doesn't deal with the real issue, which is sin. And Paul, within all of these verses, essentially says, none of those give you what Christ gives you. Live in his grace. And that is the text that was written to the people in Colossae. So if we're to fast forward, if we're to fast forward to today, there's a couple things that I would encourage you to walk away with. Maybe one of these sticks out a little more than the others, but one of the things that I would tell you is don't be deceived by false truths. Don't be deceived by false truths. Test what people say against God's word because he will not contradict himself. And so the things that you're hearing, can, can it be trusted you know, is whatever they're telling me, is this worth building my life upon? Because I know I don't want to live my life for a lie, and I'd imagine you don't either. And so the things that you hear, are they really true, or are they some sort of false teaching? Don't be deceived by them. The second thing I would tell you is this. Do not get stuck in the works mentality. Don't get stuck in the works mentality. And that can be hard because so much of our life is built on works. Like you go home and decide whether your house is clean by the things that you were able to do, the things that are put away and the jobs that you were able to accomplish. Maybe in your job, going up the ladder or whatever, there are certain tasks that you have to do. Or you know whether you've done a good job by the people that you've communicated with, the things that you've sold, whatever that looks like. And so that's task oriented. Or maybe even at school, like the way that you get grades is by turning things in. And so there are tasks behind it, paying bills. You have to have the money to be, then be able to do those things. Even even certain relationships can be um, works mentality that, man, I don't know if this person's going to still be my friend if I don't do this for them, if I don't do this with them. And what I would tell you is do not let that happen with you following Jesus. Don't let it come all about works, because if so, then you live in danger of becoming a modern day Pharisee. You know, others may look at you and say, wow, that person, like they are really holy, like they are a good moral person, they're humble, the way they worship is just amazing. Like maybe they step back and go, I always see them reading their Bible. Or the way that they pray, like I know that they do that all the time. Or anytime the doors are open, they're here at church. Or they're always the nicest dressed. Or they're serving whenever they can. Or they're singing the loudest during worship with their hands as high as they can. The words that they use, I've never heard one bad word slip out. I've noticed that there are certain places that they stay away from or certain things that they don't do. And they are a holy person. Can I tell you that whole list that I just told you? Those things are not bad at all if you do them with the right mindset. But if you uh, approach those with this works mentality, then you can have a false sense of yourself, either positive or negative. Like you can start looking at yourself and go, look at all these good things that I do compared to everybody else. And you can feel like you're a little bit better than everybody else. Or you can flip it and go, man, I just don't measure up. The things that everyone else does, how can God even love me? And Jesus and Paul, they both say it's what's on the inside that matters. And so as hard as it is, don't get stuck 
in the works mentality. Here's the third thing that I would tell you, is to live in the grace of Jesus. Live in the grace of Jesus. And some may hear that and even misunderstand. Like sometimes people think that means complete freedom to do whatever I want. That's what the grace of Jesus is, right? Or sometimes people even hear that and they're like, well, that just means laziness. Like there's not all these rules that you're following and so you just get to do whatever. Or sometimes they even just feel like, well, the grace of Jesus is just kind of like a get out of jail free card, right? That is not what Jesus says at all. In fact, Paul writes this in Romans 6, 1 and 2, right before the baptism verses. He says, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. He says, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or even Galatians 5, 13. You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. And we talk about the grace of Christ, what that means is being anchored in the final work of Christ, that what he has done is complete. And so you get to live in the spot of grace. You're already covered by grace. It's not that you have to work with grace as a goal, that if I do this and do this and do this, then Jesus will give me this grace. You need to understand God is not mad at you. You don't have to be better to be loved. And the things that you do, it doesn't earn you any extra merit. You simply should do it because you want to. Or you respond to do certain things because you are living in his fullness right now. Like even as I mentioned that, doesn't that sound freeing? Doesn't that sound freeing? If I were to get personal with you real quick, like I've never had the testimony that some people talk about going down the quote awful paths, whatever you want to pull in there, you know, in my life that God had to bring me back. But I can tell you growing up in the church, legalism and self-righteousness and pride, those are things that I needed to be rescued from. And so as I continue to grow in him, I experience his freedom more and more. And if you were to ask me, well, why do you care so much about people knowing Jesus? Like my real simple answer is this. I want you to have what I have. And I'm not saying my walk with Jesus is perfect. I'm still growing. But I want you to be able to have some of the things that I have in my life. This confidence in your salvation. Not, oh, I don't know if it's there or not. Confidence in the salvation. I want you to be assured of your identity, that you are a son or a daughter of God, and he loves you more than you can imagine. I want you to be able to be rooted in the truth. So when things come by, you're not, oh, is this true or not? You know what is true. I want you to be able to live at peace amongst the storms that when people are going, how in the world can you have some sort of peace with what's going on? It's only because of God. I want you to be able to serve out of joy and not out of duty because of what God has done. I want you to have Christ at the center of your family and so you feel the blessings of that. I want you to have relationships where you can be 100% real with someone. I want you to be firm in the eternal hope that you have in Jesus. And none of that do I have because I work harder. It is all because of Christ and wanting to follow him. And so may you live each day in that grace as well. And so for some of you, as we're talking about this grace, maybe you need to accept it for the first time. Like you've tried working as hard as you can to be this good person. It's like, I need his grace. I need his righteousness. Maybe for some of you, the challenge today is to quit believing some of these half-truths that maybe sound good, but man, they are not built upon the word of God whatsoever, and they do not bring freedom. 
or maybe for some of you, you need to break the mindset of legalism and works-based salvation so that you can really experience grace. Looking at all this text, here's what I would tell you, that Jesus is enough. He is enough. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your word. God, I'm thankful for your word because it tells us about you, your love for us, and your ultimate authority. And we want to serve you out of joy and out of response that we are overflowing with thankfulness. So God, I just pray um, for our minds in different aspects of maybe we're getting caught up in trying to, to find our worth in the things that we do. Or God, guilt just continues to to knock us down and we need to really fully accept that forgiveness that you offer. God, for some that are here today, maybe they've been searching for truth and they've gotten to hear about you and they want to be fully in. God, they want to die to themselves, but to experience the freedom that you have. And I pray for that. God, I pray that we would be able to live in community, that we would be able to encourage each other and not do this all by ourselves. Jesus, I'm thankful that you are enough. I am thankful that we don't have to do anything. We get to live in the grace that you give. And so I pray for each person to continue to accept that and to live in that. And may they experience freedom this week. God, we love you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.